EasyPay provide funding, payroll and back office services to support the recruitment industry. Go to easypayservices.co.uk forward slash rec live lounge. Recruiters Live Lounge. Lounge.com, where you get to hang out with the most inspiring recruitment business leaders on the planet. Hosted by Roy Ripper. Hey everyone, welcome back to Recruiters Live Lounge, where you get to meet and hang out with some of the most inspirational leaders in the recruitment world on this planet. And uh, today's guest in the Live Lounge is Andrew Hares. Now, Andrew is the Group Managing Director of the Monroe Consulting Group. Um, Andrew's based out in Jakarta, and he oversees offices in Jakarta, Bangkok, Kuala Lumpur, Manila, Santiago, and Mexico City. Some of my favorite cities in the world there mentioned. Um, Andrew has over 15 years recruitment experience, starting off as a consultant and then moving on to executive search and working for a company where he was responsible for quite some high volume accounts. Now the experience that Andrew gained um, doing that volume recruitment is why Monroe Consulting Group approached him and asked him to be their managing director at a brand new office in Tokyo. After 10 months of that, Andrew was asked to take on a six-month assignment in Indonesia to start another office for the group. That was 10 years ago, um, so you must have done something right. Um, Monroe Indonesia is now one of the most recognized and successful executive recruitment brands in Indonesia. Um, Andrew, I-, I hope I got everything right there. How- how's it going for you? Yeah, it's going, it's going well, Roy, as you can see. Uh, hasn't always been that way, but we're making progress. Fantastic. And listen, we're really pleased to have you here in the live lounge today. Um, Andrew, I just did a, a, you know, kind of an intro, a brief intro there of, of you, but tell us something about you, you know, that we don't know. Ah, well, there's a lot of you don't know yet, Roy. Um, <laughs> well, look, I, I guess like everybody else, I fell into recruitment by accident. Um, before I joined recruitment, I was in the hospitality industry and I was very much enjoying it. It's a sociable industry to be in. It's great. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't pay any money. <laughs> so I was in a shared house and uh, somebody was working for a company and just said, look, you're working a lot of hours and I know what you get paid. Um, why don't you take a week off holiday and, and come and try recruitment? And so I took a week off. I earned more money in that week than I could earn in a month in hospitality, so I put in my resignation and here I am. It's a brilliant story. 20 years later. Wow. How many years later? About 20 years. 20 years. Well, listen, you know, on behalf of the recruitment industry, we're really pleased that you made it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, now, Andrew, I, I know that you're, uh, you know, a fan of Recruiters Live Lounge. You know here that uh, we like to kick off every uh, every interview with our guest's favorite success quote. What's yours? Well, my one is uh, can be interpreted the wrong way, but I interpret it in a different way. And uh, it's an anonymous quote that I once read. And I, I think about this a lot and I act on it a lot. It says, I wanted to create a happy working environment, so I sacked anyone who wasn't happy. <laughs> 
Now, that's probably politically incorrect, but if you take the time to think about it, um, the way I've interpreted that is some people get your vision and are inspired by it and want to continue on that path with you. And that gives you a lot of energy and it gives them a lot of energy and then a working atmosphere becomes very positive because everyone's working towards that. Yeah. If you have people who don't get what you're about and, and don't dis and disagree with your vision, then it becomes a very negative environment very quickly or it takes too much of your energy away when you're trying to convince one or two people that you know this is the direction we should all be taking and you're having to fight them all the way yeah so it's it's really making sure you're recruiting and having people around you who are inspired by the vision and want to travel on that path with you i'd really echo that andrew and i think it's the people that aren't you know uh on point in terms of that vision you know it's not people that aren't sharing that vision the amount of time and effort that goes into just managing that situation far outweighs any benefit they may bring in terms of I don't know revenue or you know knowledge or expertise. So yeah, I I I, I um I, I laughed at your quote, but actually I think there's a load of uh, there's a lot of truth in there. Uh, so thanks for sharing that, um, Andrew. The, the, the we know in the live lounge that behind every successful recruitment entrepreneur there is uh, normally been some difficulty, some challenge. What would you describe as your biggest um, failure professionally? There's so many to choose from, Roy. I don't know where to begin. <laughs> <laughs> I would say actually my, my biggest failure was probably my time in Japan. Okay. Um, and that's for a number of reasons. So to give you a little background of, of how I got to Japan, it was the high volume recruitment knowledge that I'd built up in the UK. And uh, Monroe at the time was a privately owned company um, run by what I like to describe politely as a highly entrepreneurial character. <laughs> so he had somehow magically um, got a contract to recruit for call centers in Tokyo. Wow. And the deal was that um, for the first two years, um, we were only allowed to recruit for this company and this company would give us the exclusivity for that period as well. Right. So his message to me was, look, I've got the contract. All you have to do is fly to Tokyo, run your assessment centers, and just fill the spots, which sounds easy. Sounds easy. <laughs> but when you think about it, it's, you know, I've never had an MD position before. Right. Uh, so that's my first MD position. Um, I'd never been to Japan before. So... Um, Combining first MD position, new culture, completely different culture, um, was difficult enough. Um, but then in my first meeting with the client, um, he made it pretty clear that he didn't want me there and that um, regional had forced him to use me. Oh, no. So uh, for the first two years, I thought, well, I've got a client that doesn't like me <laughs> and I can't work with anyone else for two years. My goodness. Yeah, so that was a, that was a tough situation to try and manage. But anyway, we I mean I, I managed. We got out there and with with the support of a couple of other Monroe people, um, we took the first job order. We worked incredibly hard to deliver on it, and from that perspective, that was good. Unfortunately, 
two or three days before um, the people were meant to start work. Yeah. I had a phone call from the client who said, actually, that number I gave you, I only need half of those to start. So I was like, but, you know, I have all these people signed up and they've all got contracts. And he smiled at me and said, well, that's not my problem. If you read the contract that you have with us, I have the ability to terminate anyone for whatever reason within 24 hours. So <clears throat> he has set the contract up in a way to deliberately sabotage everything. So <clears throat> anyone who's been to Japan will know that um, compliance is massively important. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, in the speed to set things up and, and get everything in place, a lot of things have been overlooked. Um, and I'd walked into a situation whereby instantly I had to contact um, a lot of Japanese people and say, you don't have a job next week. Oh. So really, for the first six months of that assignment, I spent a lot of time in government departments apologizing to nearly everybody in Japan. <laughs> which was not a very pleasant experience <laughs> and all along this I had to keep a smile on my face and, and try and maintain the relationship with, with the client who, would, who completely destroyed my Japan experience um, and there was a lot of other mistakes along the way because it was my first MD position I guess I didn't have the confidence to manage myself and take decisions myself right. so I was in a position whereby decisions for the Japanese office were actually being made by the owner in Australia. Right. And so <clears throat> it eventually reached the point where um, I ran into some work visa issues. And so at that point in time, they were like, look, leave the country. It'll take six months to sort this out. Um, we'll sort it out. You go to Indonesia and then come back to Tokyo. Right. Which was fair enough. Um, but when I came to Indonesia, I came to Indonesia knowing that it had been a failure for the past 10 months. I mean, I'd lost Monroe an awful lot of money in that time. Japan's not a cheap place. No. And I felt really bad and I, I sort of assessed it. And the reason I felt so bad was because I had an excuse. Right. I wasn't making those decisions. Yeah. Right? Could it have been different if I'd done this? And I didn't like being in the position where I couldn't own my failure. Right. I'm okay to fail as long as I'm in control of that failure. Sure. So when I went to Indonesia, the message to the owner at the time was, look, I'm happy to go, but I make the decisions, Good. right? If I'm going to fail again, I want it to be on my terms. Yeah. Um, and so when I came here, I took every failure that I had in Japan and it would take hours to list all my failures. <laughs> and I never made the same mistake twice in Indonesia. That's brilliant. When I got to that six-month period where the phone call came, time to go back to Tokyo, I was like, actually, no. Right? <laughs> I've learned from my mistakes. I've set things up a lot better here. Sure. And actually, in terms of the market, I could see that there was a market in Indonesia. That's interesting. So, yeah. Make the mistakes. Don't make them twice. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's great advice, Andrew. I, I really do. And I was just thinking there about the situation in Tokyo where um, having to let down those people, primarily the candidates, it sounds like the client uh, orchestrated that situation from the very start, but having to let down so many candidates and, as you say, personally apologise to 
those people and government departments. Um, I can't think of any worse way to um, screw a market for you know a company. Sure, I mean it, it decimated the company. I can appreciate, appreciate that. Well, look, we're really pleased that you ended up in um, in Indonesia. Tell us about um, the Eureka moment. You know, and it happens in recruitment. It may have happened in Monroe. It may have happened in your previous experience, but. When was that eureka moment for you where the light bulb goes on and everything kind of clicks into place? Describe that for us. Actually, it happened within sort of the first six to eight weeks of arriving in Indonesia. Brilliant. Um, so when I first arrived and I started to recruit people and, and, and start the office, um, I would try and do the very Western style of management. Okay. So include everyone in the decision-making process and <laughs> we face a problem you know don't tell them the answer just get them to work it out with you and then they feel part of the solution right. and they'll implement it and be happy that they're part of that and uh, so the first sort of six six weeks it was very very silent meetings with no one saying anything and massive awkward silence <laughs> You'd ask the question, there'd be those tumbleweeds kind of flowing through. <laughs> been there. So eventually I just, you know, tried and tried, and then eventually I just took the, the, the most senior guy in the office and I took him aside and said, look, explain to me what's going on here because I'm really trying to, to get people on this journey with me and get them to, you know, be involved. Sure. And I'm getting nothing in there, including you. And he said, well, do you want me to tell you the truth? And I was like, well, yeah. And he said, everyone in that office is sitting there thinking, well, if this guy doesn't have the answers, why have they flown him in? <laughs> it makes sense. Right? And that was a eureka moment for me. Yeah. Because that's the moment that I understood. Yeah. There is a very different process of education within the emerging markets yeah. than there is within the developed markets of, say, UK and Australia and America. Sure. In the most markets, you're taught to explore the answers yourself. Yeah. To question the teacher. Yeah. Don't just accept what's being told to you, but question it and then find your own answers. It's part of the learning process for an individual, right? Right. But within the developing markets, it's very much the rote learning method. Yeah. You never question the teacher. You get told this is what you do, and you do it unquestioningly. Mm. And so once you sort of get into that mindset, I went from a very, you know, all incorporating, very softly, softly manager to a dictator overnight. Okay. <laughs> um, because that's what matched the culture of the people I was in the country I was working in. Yeah, sure. They, you know, if you give someone a structure of which they can work by and you tell them, I want you to do this, this, and this, and if you do this, this, and this in the recruitment process, you will get a result at the end of it. Yeah. And if you don't get a result at the end of it, that's not your fault, that's my fault. Yeah. But follow what I'm teaching you. It's a really, so, yeah, it's a really uh, interesting point, Andrew, and it's, it's funny because it reminds me of um, a client that I worked with several years ago who only employed in his recruitment business 
ex-forces uh, employees. So, you know, soldiers, Navy, Air Force, whatever, but they were all ex-servicemen uh, and service women in his office. Um, and, the, and the business was UK-based, it wasn't overseas. But he described a really similar situation to me. He said, look, the reason why I love, he was ex-forces as well, the reason why I love forces people or ex-forces people is that um, they they want to be led. They they want to be led, um, and uh, you know, and they're expecting that instruction to come from the top. He said, but the beauty of them is that they follow the instructions to the letter, um, and he just stuck to this philosophy and, and built a very very successful recruitment business. Now that was one that I saw in the UK, but I fully appreciate what you're saying that culturally. Um, that was the expectation of you as the MD arriving, you know, in in that culture. Uh, and if you'd been any different, you probably wouldn't still be there, right? And, and then the sure. success that you've had. So, yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much for for sharing that with us, um, Andrew. I'm really keen to find out what you do consistently on a daily basis to set yourself up for success. What do you do? I think that the key for me is giving myself time to think. Um, very early on in my recruitment career, uh, my sort of mentor in the recruitment business was a guy called Nigel Tucker, and he said to me, like, whatever you do, right, take time at the start of your day and the end of your day to think and plan. Brilliant. Because, you know, recruitment is such a in-the-moment industry. Yeah. You know, we have to keep the client happy, you have to keep the candidate happy. So taking that time as a consultant to think is very important and very much helped me to sort of know what I needed to do in that day. Yeah. As a manager, that also applies. You know, being able to remove yourself from the business, to not get caught up in the day-to-day -day from time to time and look at every aspect of your business and think about what do I need to do to improve this and you can do that with every department everything in the business just look at it and think how can I improve it this week or this year or today yeah I think I think that's brilliant advice it's it's interesting as well because um, I encourage all of my you know private coaching clients so you know similar to yourself MDs are recruitment businesses I talk a lot about going to work on your business as opposed to being employed in the business um, yeah. and and I think you've just described exactly that that you know taking yourself out of the business and as you describe on a daily basis I think that's really really powerful in the morning before you start your day at the end of your day taking that helicopter view of the business um, is so so important and sadly so rarely practiced yeah. um, and it's interesting for me because, again, I think it's linked into the culture there that you have. You are expected to be the the leader. You are expected to have those ideas. You know, you described that dictatorship. So almost that culture has forced you into that thing. I'm sure you would have found it anyway with, with Nigel's <laughs> advice. But it does sound like the culture actually really matches that uh, that strategy and methodology. Sure. Yeah. Great advice. Thank you for that. Um, 
Andrew, what do you see as your biggest strength and then, I suppose, conversely, your biggest weakness um, as an entrepreneur, as a, you know, as a leader within your business? Uh, I, w- I would say the two are linked, to be honest. Okay. Um, if I look at what I think my strength is, um, others may disagree. <laughs> um, OCD springs to mind. Okay. So I need things to be perfect. I'm never going to get them perfect, but I have this need to make sure that things are as good as they can possibly be. Brilliant. And so that means, you know, looking at the processes that we have in house and looking at how we can improve that, looking at our social media, how can we do that? And I have this need to fix things. Right. I can't sit back and just watch something go out of control and need to control as much as possible. Okay. So in some aspects, that's really helped our business because our business relies on that structure, that process, that training program that's in place and basically providing that platform in which people can really perform and, and, and earn a lot of money. The downside is, I, I need to, I have this need to sort of start everything myself, right. work it out, do it myself, and then when I'm happy that it's working, give it to somebody else. Okay. That takes a lot of time. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I talk about this, you must remove yourself from the business and think. When I'm into something, then I'm so engaged, I, I just don't do anything else and my blinkers are on. Right, I'm getting better at sort of stopping myself, um, but that's my weakness. Is you know, I I do like fixing things and doing things. However, my weakness is I I, I can get a little bit blinkered when I get confronted with an issue that needs to be fixed. Andrew, I've got, I've got a question for you on that. When when you um, and it's interesting for me because again, it sounds like the the culture that you live and work in actually suits that style. You know of of having somebody that's very particular about standards. But, but, but the question that I have for you is that when you do do something and you've got it working and then you delegate that task, you know, are you always disappointed? I.e. it doesn't quite live up to the, the, the standard that you've already set or are you happy to let it go? No, I'm, I'm happy to let it go. And, and what I usually find is the people who I hand it over to Escalate it and do a better job. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lesson in there somewhere, Andrew. <laughs> but I like to think the platform I've given them has given them the ability to to enhance what I've done. It's a good it's a good story to tell ourselves. I I agree. <laughs> um, Andrew, I'm going to ask you to, and it's really interesting your perspective because you've worked UK, you've worked emerging markets, um, and you know. Uh, worked in Japan as well, you know, strong, very strong recruitment market. Um, I'm really interested in getting you to look into your crystal ball um, and maybe kind of share with us your vision of how you see the recruitment industry developing over five years, the next five years. Sure. I, I wish I had the answer for you, Roy. <laughs> all, all I can say is I, I think you have to separate two different types of recruitment. At the top end of recruitment, I can see the trend being more for relationships. Right. You know, getting back to what I think is enjoyable recruitment, 
where you can speak to your client, mm. you develop your relationships with your candidates, and it's a very personable service. Yeah. And I think that level of service and that level of communication and having that market knowledge for senior managers, I think that level of recruitment, that's going to increase. Yeah. Clients are going to want more knowledge, they're going to want a better relationship and more trust on that level. Yeah. For the volume of recruitment, entry level to mid-level, you're just going to see technology taking over. Yeah. No, it's sad to say, but the human element of recruitment is being removed from our industry and it's being replaced by VMS, RPO, mm -hmm. log your CV in the system, don't talk to the line manager, just send the CVs yeah. and we'll let you know if we've hired one of your people. Yeah. And technology allows people to do that. I don't like it personally because for me it takes all the fun out of the job. Yeah. Because then you're a data entry person. I I, I I do share that actually. I do I do share that um, that viewpoint, Andrew. And, and the, the encouraging thing for me is that I look at uh, recruitment in 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 I suppose in a similar view to the way that I see the retail industry has developed. Um, and yes, technology has really driven um, you know companies, online companies like Amazon, etc. To be able to, you know, offer the, a very, very cheap price and a good quality service in terms of speed of delivery, so you know the average consumer is able to get those things and is choosing in droves. You know, they're choosing to to to, to purchase that way. But then there are also those, um, you know, the personal services, the uh, luxury brands, the you know specialist. Um, you know, uh, retail purchases that I think are going back to what I would call a more traditional form of retailing, which is a personal service, a one-on-one -on -one service. And I see parallels here for our industry that, as you said, at the top end, um, in, in technical positions, in very niche positions, that personal service, that client relationship, that, you know, nurtured over a period of time, I think uh, whether it's fashionable or unfashionable, I think that's happening more and more and will increase. And yeah. equally, I, I agree with you. I think the lower level uh, stuff will, will be very well catered for using that technology, speed of delivery, etc., with very little human intervention. Yeah. Um, I, think it's, I think it's those companies who are demanding that log your CV and, and high volume, just send CV. I think you'll find that that won't be serviced at a local level. Yeah. You know, there's really good RPO companies in India. Yeah. You can engage them and you can just fill up recruitment systems. So, you know, that recruitment element is going to go offshore to the Philippines or it's going to go offshore to India to service those those clients. For sure. For sure. Well, listen, thank you for that. Um, um, thanks for sharing that vision as well. It's interesting. It's good to talk to somebody that's uh, quite literally on the other side of the world, but, um, uh, you know, shares a really similar vision. I'm seeing the same same things. Andrew, I'm keen to move you into the final stage of our meeting together, uh, which is called the lightning round. Andrew, I've got to ask you, are you ready for the lightning round? 
I am ready. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. The lightning round. My first question. Andrew, what, what's the number one thing that you see holding recruiters back from becoming more successful? Yeah, I was thinking about this last night. And I think when I look around me at, at the people, uh, for my business, I, I tend to recruit um, young people and train them and develop them rather than hiring people from the outside. Yeah. And so most of the guys I, I hire are between the ages of 23 and 28. Um, and a trend I see in this generation is this almost a fear of failure. Yeah. So I won't try because what happens if I fail after I've tried? Right. I'm okay to just bounce along and just do enough, but if I really tried and I didn't get the result, then I what happens then? Yeah. I think that fear of failure is is pretty strong in the the new generation coming through. It's yeah. like someone's forgotten to say, look, don't be afraid to really put 100% on the line and see what happens. Yeah. If nothing happens, it's fine. It's not the industry for you. It doesn't mean you're a failure. You'll find your path eventually. But don't sit there being average. Yeah. You it's, know, there's a lot of people who are okay with average. Not in my book. I, I, if you... Um, uh, yeah, I say a lot. I, I can't... I don't... Can't, sorry... I don't like beige. I don't like mediocrity. I think mediocrity is perhaps the biggest crime in the recruitment industry. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, I would agree with that point. Um, Andrew, question number two. What's the best piece of uh, business advice you've ever received? <laughs> Take time to think again. <laughs> Nigel Tucker. Right? Brilliant That's advice. the best advice I've ever got. And it's something I've applied to my, my business for sure. Fantastic. Um, Andrew, what is something that you see working brilliantly in your business right now, whether it's a piece of software or a hack or an app that you just couldn't live without? What, what is it for you? I think it's two things. And it, um, one is the process. Mm. So when we started on this journey and we realized this is the, the, the structure of which we have to build to be successful, um, I looked around and when I thought about it, in fact, even today, I've never had any formal training in recruitment. It's just, there's a phone, pick it up, make calls, and we'll give you a bit of coaching along the way. Yeah. Um, so I knew that that had to change and we needed to try and gather training material together and formalize it. So we started with um, your videos good <laughs> we took the 12 steps as, as a base good and then within that 12 steps we bespoke it a little bit to you know this is stage one but in this stage you need to do this this and this as good. far as the criticism so we came up with a really good solid process brilliant where even someone who's new to recruitment can go step by step by step if I follow every single step in this I'm giving myself a shot at yeah. success yeah right? so thank you for that Roy. <laughs> My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. What was the, the sec second thing? The second thing is actually the training. Yeah. Um, 
and this has been a journey and, and for someone who's never had any formal training I, I tend to you know really be a, a quest for for new material and to improve the internal training that we have Brilliant. so we started with taking those videos and doing some classroom training and then we moved and we said okay that's part of it let's develop some more training material and we have now an online training portal so all of the training material is online we have assessments now linked to that training material to make sure that it's being understood and so we had the combination of you know the office manager doing the training and also the material available online for self-learning and we've recently moved in to actually hiring a dedicated in-house trainer. Good. So now we have that sort of consistency in the training. So with the induction training, it's the same person delivering the training. It's the same material. It's the same message going across. We've then branched out and we've started to do webinar training. So our trainer will do a topic. People can dial in from their PCs in the office to attend the training, sit there, engage with each other. So that's worked very well. That Having that process and then keep developing that training material. And it's something, the, the training material, it's, it's an ongoing process. Like I'm very, very proud of the in-house training that we can offer here. Um, but I'm always on a quest to improve it and, and make it better. I'm so pleased and encouraged to hear that. I'm thinking, when can I start at Monroe? I'm, I'm, you know, as you said, you know, back in the early days, maybe when we started, there wasn't that same approach or application to training. So, despite that, um, despite you and I not receiving that in those early days, you know, we we love learning, we love training, and we love giving that. The other thing is, and and you know, just really quickly that. Um, by doing that, you talked before about the vision um, and making sure that you know people were on point with that vision. Backing it up with consistency in terms of process and training, etc., I think ensures, virtually guarantees that that Monroe Consulting Group way or methodology works wherever they are in the world, whether it's Mexico City, whether it's Santiago, whether it's um, you know Bangkok. Uh, that 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 way of working, that methodology is consistent throughout. So, uh, really, really encouraging to to, to hear that, Andrew. Um, Andrew, next question: What's the best business book that you've read in the last six months? This is the question I've been dreading. Roy. <laughs> You're going to be disgusted with me. No. <laughs> I make it actually a point not to read those books. Really? And here's why: one. I find them incredibly boring. <laughs> Two, I find those books are written from somebody who's in a developed country yeah. with a Western influence. Yeah. And I think the reason for, for our recruitment agency's success is because we've worked out solutions and we've looked at our business and we've looked at our local markets and everything we've developed and the direction we've gone has been for an emerging market yeah. perspective. Rather than adapting what works in the West, we're having to really understand and come up with the solutions ourselves. So I don't really want to take in that external influence too much. Yeah. I talk a lot to other MDs in, in various countries on my travels and I suck in a lot of knowledge from those. 
I speak to my consultants in the countries and I suck in more knowledge from those. But I find those books a little bit muddy the waters for me. Yeah, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. I'm going I'm to make it my mission now to find a book that, that changes that for you. But, <laughs> but that's my own personal mission, Andrew. But no, I, I think what you say there makes a lot of sense. Um, Andrew, final question in the lightning round. And before we start to, to wrap up, if you woke up tomorrow morning, um, you still possessed all of the experience and the knowledge uh, that, that you currently have, but your business had completely disappeared, uh, forcing you to start somewhere, anywhere from scratch, what would you do? Uh, well, I, I'm happy with what I'm doing. I'd like to do it all again. But um, if I can't do that, um, I think acting as a consultant, an advisor, a mentor to companies who are looking to start up in the emerging markets. Yeah. You know, that is my dream job. I like starting things. You know, in my hotel career, the first job I ever had in a hotel, it was a brand new startup of a hotel. When I got into recruitment, the first proper recruitment agency I joined, it was a brand new startup. Wow. When I went to Tokyo, startup. Indonesia, startup. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And there are some people who like managing a business. Yeah. There are some people who like starting businesses. And I'm just part of that thrill because, you know, from an ego perspective, to be able to start something out of nothing and then 10 years later, 20 years later, be able to see that company still functioning, see the people in that company developing, that's a pretty good legacy to leave behind. Yeah. I love it. I, okay, no, I, I, you know, I see that as well. And you're right, it takes a particular skill uh, to be the person that, that uh, creates a business you know, from scratch and gets it up and running but um, but also how rewarding you know it's like you, you build something that's brand new and it's successful uh, you know there's a lot of uh, a lot of glory in that um, sadly Andrew we are coming to the end of our you know brief time together uh, I certainly hope it's not the last time that uh, that we get to speak um, Andrew a couple of final things what, what I'd like you to do is is give our listeners our viewers uh, one final piece of parting advice but on top of that um, I'd also like to tell you to tell us how people can get in touch with you after listening or seeing the show sure um, well final piece of advice would be especially for people who are starting their recruitment careers is find a company that's going to invest in you yeah. and then pay them back by um, a lot of people just you know higher basic salary I'm gonna jump ship and they jump before they've given themselves time right. to really develop that knowledge and get that promotion within the company they're with right and I think you know I've lost some really good talent who I know they someone else has come in they've often you know, we're in the emerging market, so often double, triple their salary, yeah. and they're away. Yeah. But I think if you'd stayed with me, I would have taught you so much more, and I would have pushed your careers through, and now you're just going to take one level up, where if you'd stood with me, you would have been two or three levels up in a couple of years. So if you've got a good employer who invests in you, 
and you've got a mentor of a boss who inspires you, yeah. stick with it. Good advice. Really good advice. Um, in terms of getting in contact with me, um, andrew.hairs at monroeconsulting.com. Monroe, just like Marilyn Monroe. Uh, <laughs> or you can check out our website, which is monroeconsulting.com. Fantastic. Fantastic. Andrew, um, we will also post underneath the episode and show notes all of the you know, different ways that people can get in contact with you and find out more about you and Monroe. Um, Andrew, on behalf of everybody at Recruiters Live Lounge, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. It was really, really uh, brilliant to hear your perspective and your experiences, you know, sort of working in emerging markets and overseas. Appreciate it, Roy. Always fun. Fantastic. Um, and for everyone else that's listening and watching, you've been watching Recruiters Live Lounge. You've been listening to Recruiters Live Lounge if you're hearing it on the podcast. Um, if you want to continue uh, meeting uh, inspirational leaders from across the world, uh, the recruitment industry, then please subscribe to ensure that you get these episodes delivered straight to your inbox. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to Recruiters Live Lounge with Roy Ripper. Join us next time for more insights and incredible success journeys to help you be a better recruitment business leader. What would it feel like to get all of your back office administration done under one roof? EasyPay provide funding, payroll and back office services to support your recruitment business. EasyPay want to offer one month's free fees to any new customers who come through Recruiters Live Lounge. Just go to easypayservices.co.uk forward slash rec live lounge.